Hello everyone, and I suppose welcome back, or welcome to the first time. Uh, I've decided to refocus my little podcast talks here. Aside from general design and development, so focusing on the Song of Ice and Fire tabletop miniature game. This has been the project that has taken up the majority of my uh, time for the last, well, year plus, really. And it's something I really just do in general, like talking and discussing tactics and design about. And there's just so much content. So I decided to make this the focus of it, and here's our kind of inaugural relaunch episode. Uh, today we're going to be discussing Rob Stark and his in-depth tactics, uh, and basically how to win games with him. Uh, so we're just going to really jump right into this, and just, well, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> so why do you want to play Rob? Out of all the commanders available to these Starks, Rob is going to be probably the most position-based, uh, he's going to be, have probably one of the higher learning curves of a lot of the uh, commanders as well. So this is something that people need to understand going into him. In your starter box, you've got two options. You've got Great John Umber, and you've got Rob Stark. Great John is going to be a little bit more straightforward to play because he's got a very Berserker-style mentality. You're going to charge the enemy, you're going to deal a bunch of damage, you're going to get hit back, and because you get hurt, you're going to deal more damage as well. Rob Stark is a different beast altogether. Uh, Rob is going to be a very position-based commander. You are going to want to be able to select your engagements, you're going to want to hit the enemy in the flank, and you're going to basically outmaneuver them. If you play Rob and you just start rampaging right into the enemy, you're not going to do too well. The Starks in general are a very aggressive faction, but that's also tempered by their positioning-based effects, and Rob definitely leans more toward that end. So that's what I feel about Rob, is that he has a bit of a higher learning curve if you're just getting into the game. Uh, and that's something that I feel that you're going to have to, you know, play a few games and play to the game mode, the scenario that you're playing, and Rob will really begin to shine. Uh, we're going to get looking into his specific tactics cards and his attachments and what is the best synergies there. But this is the overall mentality that I want to really stress before we get into things, is that with Rob, uh, battlefield positioning and knowing when to strike and what to strike are going to be your keys to victory here, and are going to really separate the good Rob Stark players from the very mediocre ones to the ones that go, oh my god, I can't win a single game with him. <laughs> so, understand that coming in. I feel that Rob is probably one of the scariest commanders in the entire game in the hands of a capable player that knows what they're doing. And that really comes down to just knowing the battlefield, knowing the enemy you're against, knowing what units that you're against, and how to exploit their weaknesses. Rob has a large number of tools in his kit that allows him to just manipulate any situation that he needs to. And that's actually one of my favorite things about him, is that he's got this great toolkit, but you really need to know how to use them all. They're not very straightforward, and they're going to be just deadly in the hands of a veteran player. So keep playing him, learn what he does, and I think you're going to be really surprised by how strong this guy uh, comes out as being. So let's look at his cards and see exactly why I say that. So we look at his commander card. We have Rob Stark, the Wolf Lord. He has one order, Wolf's Cunning. When an enemy uh, within long range declares a charge, that enemy automatically suffers a disorderly charge. So this immediately is going to tell you that you're going to have a lot of battlefield control because you get to determine, you know, anytime the enemy's going to charge you, or actually in, uh, any enemy within long range, uh, that charge is going to go badly for them. Disorderly charge also carries a number of penalties, but the biggest ones are they will remove your charge bonuses and the one that people seem to overlook a lot is that the enemy can't play tactics cards. That is huge, because tactics cards are usually the things that are going to cause you the most stress in the game. And if you're taking out that ability for them to do so, 
you can severely cripple what they're going to do to your unit. This can be especially devastating against assault-oriented enemies, such as when you're playing against other Starks, or like Gregor Clegane, the Mountain. All of his effects are going to be based on charging, and you can just straight up shut those down. There's no roll for it, you just end up doing it. The other thing to note is that when you take Rob, you get a free Grey Wind. So, you know, you get an extra Dire Wolf on the battlefield, which is an extra unit, gives you an extra activation, and, uh, you know, uh, Grey Wind himself gives you a bunch of cool options as far as going and flanking and things. Uh, moving on to the tactics cards, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the generic Stark tactics cards, uh, just because I feel that will eat up a lot, but I'm going to go over them very briefly, just so we can know what they do, and then we're going to spend a lot of time focusing on the Rob-specific ones. So for the generic tactics cards, we have Northern Ferocity. When a friendly unit makes a melee attack, they gain Sundering. If they have only one rank left, they'll gain Vicious. And if you control the combat zone, the enemy becomes vulnerable as well. A lot of the Stark tactics are going to get better as they take damage, especially if they've been reduced down to one rank. That's kind of an overall army theme, so something to keep in mind. But again, I don't want to talk about generic Stark tactics here. I just want to kind of go through these and get to Rob. Next one, Dire Wolf's Fervor. Uh, when a friendly unit suffers a panic test, they gain plus one to their panic test roll and an additional plus one for each destroyed rank. Okay, that's your anti-panic test card. Winter is coming, when a friendly unit declares a charge. This one is actually very good for Rob, uh, so I will actually point out the ones that are going to be the ones you want to keep an eye on. Uh, when a friendly unit declares a charge, your opponent may not play tactics cards or use orders for the remainder of this turn. If you control the combat zone, any enemy they successfully charge also becomes panicked. This is going to be very good because Rob has a lot of ways to get surprise charges off, and this is going to give you further board control by shutting down your opponent's ability to use tactics and orders. Uh, this one is one of the key cards for Rob. The North Remembers. When a friendly unit is destroyed, target a friendly unit and remove one activation token from them, or they may restore up to D3 wounds. This is in general just a, a good card. Uh, with Rob, you know, it's, it's just as good as it would be for most other guys. Devastating Impact. When a friendly unit charges, you may reroll their charge distance die and their attack deals plus two additional automatic hits. If you control the um, maneuver zone, the unit automatically counts as having rolled a six for their charge distance and deal plus two wounds instead of hits. This one kind of plays in the fact that you're going to be doing a lot of charging and is beneficial to you as well. Not so much, you know, again, as if you were playing Great John, but still one of the better ones to look. Swift Advance. This is one of Rob, another one of Rob's key cards here. When a friendly infantry unit activates, that infantry unit may make a free maneuver action. If you control the maneuver zone, uh, the unit may also gain plus one speed and may reroll any charge distance dice this activation. Rob loves to flank, and if he can, get into the rear of the enemy, and this is one of the most powerful cards in the Stark arsenal to help you do that. Sudden Charge. When you claim as any zone on the tactics board, replace that zone's effect with one friendly unit may make a free charge action. If you control maneuver, any enemy they successfully charge becomes vulnerable. This is another key combo card of Rob because you're going to position yourself up for a lot of flanks and this one is going to allow you to get those surprise charges off. Okay. Uh, those are it for the generic ones. Let's move on to Rob's specific ones. Tactical regroup. When a friendly combat unit activates, that unit will make a free retreat action and restore up to D3 wounds. If that unit is within long range of Rob Stark, any enemies they disengage from also become vulnerable. So let me explain to you one of the better mechanical uses of this card, okay? So first off, you're going to get, be able to make your free retreat action and heal up a little bit. The thing to realize is that that's not their action, that's just something they're doing for free, which means that you can play this card back up, you know, a couple inches, 
restore your D3 wounds, and then you get to immediately charge back in. So, and if, you know, if you're within long range for Rob Stark, which you should be, the enemy's going to become vulnerable. The thing to realize about this is that when you retreat, you get to choose the direction you're going. So in this case, you can retreat sideways. Uh, it might put you in the flank of the enemy. Most likely it's going to put you in the flank of the enemy. And you're going to be able to charge right into the flank. This is an immensely powerful card, and I think a lot of people just reading it are not going to really see what it can do. Because in this certain situation here, you're going to be able to pull back, heal yourself up a little bit, which healing is always nice, but D3 is not amazing. But it's really the fact that you're going to slam into the opponent's flank, giving you a flank bonus, uh, and then conveying all these negatives onto the enemy. They're going to suffer minus one to their defense saves, they're going to suffer minus one to their panic test, and because it's robbed, you just made them vulnerable. So they have to re-roll any defense saves if you so choose for them to. This can be absolutely just devastating to a unit. So this is a super powerful card, and on paper, it I don't think that really comes through for a lot of people. This is the first instance of really positioning and knowing how mechanics in the game work that I think is going to really uh, separate people. Again, noting that you're going to get a flank charge off with this card, usually. Superior positioning. When enemy unit charges, that enemy must roll an additional charge distance die and select the lowest result. If the enemy is charging Rob Stark's unit, Rob's unit will make a free 3-inch maneuver before that enemy moves. Alright, so this one again is doing a couple things for you. For one, uh, they're having to reroll their charge distance die. Now a lot of people, they might wait until they're within the minimal charge distance so that it's going to auto-succeed, but noting they're rolling two dice, that's more chances for them to roll a one and suffer a disorderly charge, which is going to remove their charge bonuses, it's going to make it so they can't play tactics cards. Again, big things that you need to remember. Just because, you know, again, this is a case of the tactics card is causing effects that, you know, you need to remember what they do. Uh, basically. It's not just strictly what's written on the card here, there are consequences for the effects. The bigger part of this card, though, is if they're charging Rob Stark's unit, you get a 3 free inch maneuver, which is effectively going to make it so you're going to maneuver back 3 inches. But the other part of this is that because it is a maneuver, you get to pivot and everything beforehand and, and all that. Uh, and after as well, sorry, that's actually the most important part of this. Because what that means is that uh, you're never going to get a flank or rear charge off on Rob's unit as long as he has this card because they're going to declare their charge, you're going to move back three inches, which could potentially make them fail, comboing with the first effect of the card. And even if they don't, you're now facing them. So that's another thing to consider. Um, and this one is a defensive card by nature, but adding three inches to the total distance the enemy has to charge can also make it so they can't possibly pass. So you're going to be able to just counter charge right into them. And you've got several tools to do that. Last card Rob has access to is Hit and Run. After a friendly unit completes a melee attack, that unit will make a free retreat action and automatically counts as rolling a 6 for their retreat distance. If you control maneuver, any enemies they disengage from also become weakened. So, this is the thing here. When you, you're going to be able to take some risky maneuvers with this card, namely you're going to be able to charge up into an enemy, say right into the middle of their battle lines, do a devastating attack because you are Starks, and then you're going to fall back the maximum distance that you can. So on average, your speed is going to be 5, which means you're going to be falling back 11 inches. Which means that if an opponent wants to counterattack you, they're going to have to roll a 6 for their charge distance, because you have fallen back the maximum distance. If you're up against a slower unit with speed 4 or something, like a Lannister Guards, they can't even counterattack you because they can't reach you. So it makes you this makes doing risky plays very safe. In addition to that, 
you also have the uh, the bonus if you control the maneuver area, which Rob naturally likes, so and the Starks in general. So you're probably going to have that, which means they're going to become weakened. So even if they do catch you, you're going to force them to reroll attacks. Odds are, they're probably not going to be able to reach you, so it means they're just going to have a weak encounter you know, sitting on them, which means that now you can double down on your, uh, your aggressive plays. You can just slam back into them with another unit and just leave them there, because now your reprisal for counterattack is they've already been attacked twice, so they're probably you know, nearly dead, but even if they're not, they're weakened. So you can severely just reduce the amount that they're going to you know, actually be able to deal you damage back. So as you can see from reading over these cards here, uh, you have a lot of tricksy options, and that's something you need to remember and take advantage of, because a lot of people, I think, starting off, they're going to want to get in combat, because hell, combat's fun, you know, it's exciting, but with Rob specifically, you get to pick your engagements. You get to pick who you're going to engage, where you're going to engage them from, and how you're going to engage them. You have some trick in your arsenal to set that up, and if you don't take advantage of that, well, you really shouldn't be playing Rob to begin with, because that's his thing. Again, if you want to play just completely aggressive and just slam an enemy and just deal a ton of damage, go with Great John. If you want to be a little tricksy about things, you got to play Rob. So that's his general tactics. Uh, so let's look exactly about what units we have and how we can best just kind of, um, you know, kind of exemplify a lot of what he's got. So I'm going to stick to units that are widely available in the Kickstarter. You're never going to see any spoilers on here. Well, I won't say that, but you're very seldomly ever going to see spoilers. So let's go over each of the units that are available to the Starks right now and take a look at how they synergize into Rob's strategy. The first ones we're going to have are these Stark Sworn Swords. These are your basic line infantry, five points. Um, they've got Stark Fury. They've got an average speed, average defense, pretty good morale save. The whole thing about them is they've got Stark Fury, which is before they roll attack dice, they can gain plus one to hit and critical blow. If it does, they suffer some wounds. So really, there's nothing super special about these guys. They're your generic, I'm going to go and attack them unit. The thing is, they're your baseline unit. They're cheap, and they're going to make up the core of a lot of your army. With Rob here, they're going to give you the offensive means that you really need to deal your damage. Uh, as far as his general strategies and synergies, there's nothing really particularly about them that you know synergizes well with Rob's core strategy. But that doesn't mean they're bad by any means. I mean, they're your basic line troop, so that's just something to kind of take into consideration here. I mean, that's just the way to look at them. Next up, you have your Stark Outriders, who are going to be a seven-point cavalry option for you. You have your Outriders Blades, which have no special abilities, but they are cavalry, meaning that they get a free maneuver uh, at the start of their activation, and they've got the Rapid Assault rule, which is if they're targeted by the, move to, uh, sorry, the maneuver zone, they can make a free charge action instead of a maneuver slash retreat. These guys are excellent with Rob because they embody basically everything that he wants to do. He wants to be very fast, he wants to hit guys really hard, and these guys naturally have built-in abilities to get in people's flanks and to just do their thing. Also, again, with Rapid Assault, you know, you're going to probably be taking the Maneuver Zone more often than not, so you might as well get some extra bonuses out of it. These guys gain bonuses for, you know, retreating, um... I'm sorry, they don't gain bonuses for retreating. They synergize well with Rob's cards that give them bonuses for retreating. Um, because they do have the swift retreat rule, which is uh, if they are attacked in melee, afterwards they can make a free retreat. So you back up with, you know, you've got several means of getting them in and out of combat. They should never be locked down. That's general strategies for the Outriders, but Rob just kind of exemplifies that a little bit more. Um, if you really want to keep them safe, you've got Rob's tactics cards of hit and run. 
so they can just dive in, hit, fall back. That's really going to be more useful for infantry, but you know, it's something to keep in mind. Then you have the Umber Berserkers. So Berserkers are going to be one of your primary damage dealing units for Starks. You have, uh, you know, they've got their Berserker Axes, 3 plus to hit, Sundering, 7 points, you're getting just a massive damage dealing unit. These guys here are already naturally fast, and so getting, especially with them hitting someone in the flanks, it's going to cause a lot of damage. These are actually one of the units that Rob is probably going to want to take more of than anything else. Uh, and I know there are two points more than Stark Sworn Swords, so that is something you're going to have to temper. Don't go overboard with these guys. But a couple units of Berserkers is not the worst investment for Rob. Namely because they're fast, they deal a ton of damage, and Rob has the ability to make it so they're a little safer in melee. Yes, they want to take damage, but they don't really have the best defensive stats uh, for that reason as well. But you look at cards like Swift Retreat, or you know taking the Maneuver Zone, or you know your um, Superior Positioning card, Hit and Run. You can get these guys into combat, deal a bunch of damage, and then pull them back to safety. Uh, these guys hitting someone in the flank is probably going to just decimate a unit because Sundering and then an additional minus one to defense save rolls because of the flank, your enemy is suffering minus two to their defense. Okay, uh, Most units have an average of a four plus defense, which means that they're going to be passing on sixes. These guys have a baseline eight attacks that only goes up and hit on three pluses. With your rerolls from charging, you're going to deal them a ton of damage as well. Last unit to actually look at that Rob has specific access to is uh, Grey Wind. As I talked about them a little bit earlier, uh, the Dire Wolves are not the most resilient thing in the world, but they're free, basically, for taking the commander. Greywind's specific ability, though, is if he is attacking an enemy in the flank or rear, they become vulnerable. Now, he's only throwing two dice, he is hitting on two plus, and the whole thing about that is that you're really not going to be using that vulnerable effect uh, on Greywind. Well, you can, but it's a bad play. <laughs> uh, with Greywind, you're going to want to just take him into a unit to tie them up, hit them in the flank, and then throw that vulnerable down. That's really there as a setup for any of your other units to go and charge them from the front and make use of that token. The thing about the Dire Wolves to understand as well is that they're going to give you extra activations on the enemy. So if you're trading one unit for one unit with the enemy, you're going to come up ahead because you also have Greywind. So you can use him to kind of eat out enemy activations and activate later in the round so you actually have um, you know, more tactical options there. Something to keep in mind. Being free, you can also be a little risky with him because he doesn't grant any victory points from the victory through combat rule. So you can be a little suicidal with him if you're one of those kind that just wants to see direwolves die left and right, I suppose. <laughs> uh, so let's take a look at other attachment options for throwing in Rob's army, starting with the generic ones. We have the Umber Champion. Now, if the unit has one or more destroyed ranks, its melee attack scheme vicious. If it has two destroyed ranks, the defender also becomes panicked. This guy is fine. There's nothing that really overly synergizes with Rob here. Um... He's just a good, solid one-point addition to any of the units that you'd stick him in. I would be a little hesitant in the Rob list to stick him in a unit of Berserkers, um, simply because Great John, for example, he rewards you for being a little reckless with your units. Rob, you don't really have any methods of healing uh, baseline in your army, and you're not going to gain the benefits for everything being at low ranks like you would with Great John. So the Umber Champion to me is just kind of a... He's an okay option if you really want to go get the vicious and the panicked aspect. But to me, not really an investment that I would do in a lot of different units in Rob. The Sworn Sword Captain. Uh, martial training. When this unit makes a melee attack after attack dice are rolled, the defender becomes vulnerable. That's just a solid upgrade. It's for one point. It's not bad. Um, 
it's really hard to you know knock this guy because it's such a, it's a generically useful upgrade. Sticking him with uh, sworn swords and everything is great. But to me, the one that I actually really like is the Kranigman Warden. So he gives you the Opportunist ability, which gives you plus one to hit if you are targeting an enemy that has not activated this round. Um, the reason I like that is because, as I mentioned earlier, if you keep your units fairly cheap and the fact that you have some direwolves, you can actually kind of play it a bit where you can out-activate your opponent. But this gives you more options to kind of put your opponent in a damn do they do, damn do they don't situation because you can force activations from them. If you have a Kranich Men Warden in a unit, your opponent is more than likely going to have that pressure of, man, I need to activate these guys because if I don't, these Starks are going to get a bonus against me. So that just gives you a little bit more control uh, as far as the enemy activations go, and it's just something to keep in mind. Now we're going to actually take a look at some of the character options that we can stick in there and see exactly if any of those really synergize well for Rob. First one that's going to come up is uh, Great John Umber, Fierce Bannerman, three points. Order, Fury Pass Umber, when this unit makes melee attack after attack dice are rolled, can reroll any dice, uh, hits from rolls of six, do not allow defense saves, and the unit suffers D3 wounds after the attack is being completed. Also gives you the Onslaught rule, which is if you activate by combat, you may make a free charge action instead of an attack action. So this one is nice because it's a, now it's a three-point investment. That's a big investment. But I like this guy specifically because of the Onslaught rule. If you activate them via the combat zone, it's a free charge action instead of an attack. Um, combined with Rob's positioning abilities, this can allow you to synergize up and get those unexpected charges off. Uh, his first effect is very good as well because, again, you're getting to reroll dice. Um, hits of six don't allow defense saves. That's fine, but to me it's, it's really about the, the best synergies of Rob is really about the onslaught rule because it's allowing you to get those unexpected charges off. And I really feel that's the key to playing Rob correctly is just your opponent's never going to know where you're going to strike from, never going to know the tools that you have access to until the trap gets sprung. And he's just allowing you to further do that. So, you know, one of my, uh, one of my uh, favorite options in there. Again, I will point out, he is a three-point investment, so there's very seldom units I want to stick him in. Uh, Umber Berserkers turn into a ten-point unit, and that is a big investment here. Personally, not my playstyle. I would keep the unit uh, cheap, so a unit of um, you know, Stark Sworn Swords. That wouldn't be a bad one to stick him in. Um, Tully, uh, Tully Sworn Shields? No. So really for me, if I'm going to take the Great, uh, great John Fierce Bannerman in a Rob list, he's going to get stuck in a unit of Sworn Swords, which is going to raise their cost to 8 points. That's going to be fine, but it's not a huge investment for them, so I feel a little bit better about that. Uh, speaking of which, I actually forgot two of the units that we were that we should have talked about because I got ahead of myself talking about attachments. Uh, sorry. So the Tully Sworn Shields. These are your defensive option for Starks. 7 points. You have your uh, uh, basic attack with your long sword, 3 plus to hit, 7 dice. The big thing about these guys is their defensive stats for 3 plus and their shield wall order, which allows you to block D3 hits automatically. The thing about the Tully Sworn Shields is that they're fairly slow. Um, they have a movement of 4. These guys are meant to be like your anvil unit that walks up and just kind of takes hits. It's always nice to have a unit like this, but with Rob, when he wants that really big positioning aspect, he wants to get charges off. These guys here just are not my first option. I would probably rather just run some Sworn Swords at, a ch at the cheaper option with you know a couple attachments thrown in there to really get these guys where I want them to, or Umber Berserkers, to be honest, uh, because these guys are meant to outlast the enemy. 
but they're slow and they don't really have any cool attack profiles. They're just meant to be your bulwark of defense. And to me with Rob, that's just, it's, it's not where I put my points. I want fast, I want aggressive. These guys are the exact opposite of that. So for the play style of Rob, Tully Sworn Shields, just not really my uh, first option. Uh, the next unit there would be the uh, Stark Bowman, which these are your range unit for the Starks. They have Arrow Volley, which is a baseline of six dice, but the effect is if they don't shift before attacking, which is a two inch move in any direction, they roll plus four dice. The attack also ignores intervening units in terrain. I have mixed feelings about these guys when it comes to Rob, because technically they don't synergize with any of his cards, uh, because I would never want to waste the resources on them. On the other hand, though, because you have so many positioning aspects, these guys should not really ever be in combat unless you choose it, because you can lock enemies down. So therefore, these guys here can actually get around the board and get what they need to. And because they've got their effect that they ignore intervening units and terrain, that means that once you guys have engaged the enemy, these guys are free to reposition themselves, free to shoot, and can actually have a lot of major uh, impact on the game. It's just kind of that mixed bag, because again, they don't directly synergize well with any of Rob's cards, but because of all the effects and situations that Rob's general playstyle causes, these are some guys to consider. It's going to come down to personal preference, really, on them, uh, how well you like the range aspect of them. The thing is, is that, you know, so shooting into melee uh, is going to cause a panic test on your friendly units. The thing is, is that the Starks in general have a pretty good morale value, and even if they suffer a little bit of damage, it's probably going to be fine. So with these guys, I would consider taking a unit or two, depending on your game size, because once you start locking down combats, these guys become free to move around and just give support wherever they need to. And if you actually position them, you know, kind of in the center of the table here, they can really start making use of arrow volley so they can start throwing down 10 dice and, you know, just laying down some additional covering fire. This is really going to be more so like just a personal preference and play style thing. I see the merit in taking a, one or two units of them because they're fairly cheap at six points. Uh, but they are not a unit that I would spam in a Rob army. Uh, fun fact as well, Rob actually does really well in that unit <laughs> because he can kind of just sit with them and throw down those disorderly charges. It would be a waste if you had to use it on an enemy charging the archers, but they actually are fairly good at just sitting behind other units and giving that wolf's cunning uh, debuff out to enemies that might charge units that are in front of them, which is really where they want to be. So that's actually a, a thing to consider there as well. So, sorry about forgetting those other two units. We're going to move back to talking about the rest of the attachments here, which are going to, uh, again, continue to be character attachments from the uh, Stark Hero box. First one up is going to be Bran and Hodor, Protector and Ward. So, with Bran and Hodor, you're going to get a unit of, well, sorry, the unit of Summer in there as well, so another direwolf. And this can kind of actually lead you to uh, what some players have called the direwolf spam. Uh, which I don't know how much of it's spam when you're running two direwolves at the moment. Um, but it gives you two extra units in play to, you know, again, move around, position, flank enemies, tie them up. So that's something else as well as just manipulating activations and just having much more than your opponent. You can activate your direwolves early in the round and force your opponent to activate their key units. And then, you know, once everything's done, you have free reign of the board to set up your guys. So there's definitely some merit in running just the guys of the direwolves so you can get some extra cheap activations in early in the round. But Bran brings uh, two other things to the table. He brings Bran's skin changing, which is when the unit he's in or Summer makes melee attack, you're gonna deal D3 additional automatic hits. 
not the biggest thing in the world that, hey, extra hits are extra hits. The other thing about this, though, is you're getting Hodor with his Hodor ability. Uh, this one actually synergizes really well with what Rob does. And Hodor says, once per game, when this unit is successfully charged, the attacker automatically suffers a disorderly charge and rolls minus two attack dice. Unfortunately, Brand's unit may no longer be targeted by Brand's skin changing if you do that. So the reason this is nice is because a lot of Rob's cards, as we've looked at, are, you know, they're counter cards to the enemy. They're going to charge you, do something nasty. You're going to then counter that charge by either disengaging, moving to the side, or doing something worse to them. What this ability does here is this allows you that initial attack to really take a big blow because they're going to suffer a disorderly charge, which means that, again, no charge bonuses, no tactics cards, and also roll minus two attack dice. So the initial hit is going to be pretty weak. I mean, there's few units that can take all those penalties and not suffer for it. And then once they've hit you, okay, hey, you've survived it. You can counterattack them, and you're probably going to be way more... Uh, aggressive than they are because you're stark or you're going to trigger a bunch of rob's cards allowing you to disengage heal get in their flanks or as we talked about before because you actually have you know you can activate more units in them if you go the die roll spam then you can position hit in their flanks and just cripple the unit so something to consider brandon hodor is a three-point attachment he is definitely one of the ones i would consider just because you also get the free unit with them uh, with them, I would probably stick them again in the unit of Sworn Swords, just because I like keeping things cheap. Um, sworn Shields would actually be not a bad option as well, because looking at it, you've got the Sworn Shields Shield Wall ability, so they're going to suffer minus D3 hits on top of everything I just mentioned there. So basically that attack is almost going to be entirely negated. And the Sworn Shields themselves don't have the best attack profile, it's just strictly average, so the extra hits from brand skin changing is actually going to contribute a decent amount to their damage output. So, you know, it's going to bump their cost up to 10 points, but in that case, um, they are going to be one of the more tanky units in your army. So, you know, it's not necessarily a bad choice, because, yeah, the unit's going to cost 10 points, but you have to remember you're getting a free direwolf. That's, that's one of the things I really like about it. Next up, we have Brendan Tully, the Blackfish, and he is actually a commander, so you're not going to be playing him. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Unyielding Knight is the attachment version that you can take. Uh, and he has the hold the line order. If the enemy begins the turn engaged, the unit's melee attacks gain plus one hit and roll plus two dice. And he has Stalwart, which is the unit's going to gain plus two their morale test rolls. So the Tullys in general have a very defensive style of play, and Brendan is no exception to that. His hold the line uh, order, though, is one of my favorite ones in the game. But the thing is, is that with Rob, you really don't want to get tied up into combats that you don't want to choose yourself. So I have a bit of a hard time justifying taking him in a list. Um, the order is very powerful, though. It's just that it doesn't have any direct synergies with a lot of what Rob does. Because you don't really want to be tied down into combat. On the other hand, uh, with Brendan here, if that happens, and it probably will at some point beyond your control, you can at least mitigate that somewhat. Um, as far as taking him, if that sounds like something you'd like to do, then by all means, he's definitely something I would consider in the list if I had the extra points. Um, definitely not something as I view as a just go-to, absolutely have to have, but a solid option if you want to take him. Uh, that's it for the character attachments there, so now we're going to start looking at some NCU options. Uh, so in the starter box, we have Caitlyn and we have Sansa. Um, both are fantastic. I just want to get that out of the way here. Uh, 
is Caitlyn is going to be one that's going to really determine, or sorry, be determined if you take her, depending on what you've included in your list. If you're running heavy Berserkers, Caitlyn is a fantastic option because she allows units to attack with their maximum number of attack dice, which the Berserkers is going to be 10, and they usually only get that amount when they've suffered damage. So with Caitlyn, you know, it, you're basically getting some extra insurance there. Either you attach the, her to the Berserkers early and they're throwing down 10 dice, or the enemy is going to damage them down to the fact they're rolling 10 dice by themselves. So there's not really a losing scenario there. Caitlyn is a very solid four-point investment. She is um, probably would be one of my first picks uh, when it comes to playing Rob. Uh, Sansa, though, has a once-per-game that at any time you can search your deck for a tactics card and or your discard pile and put in your hand. To me, with Rob, because of all the shenanigans that he wants to play, Sansa is probably going to be my number one pick when it comes to playing Rob. Just because Rob's cards can be such game changers, as not to say most of the tactics cards can't, but again, I'm going to make the comparison here to Great John. Great John's cards are all in some variety of we're going to deal some extra damage. It's just a matter of what situation we're going to do those in. Rob's cards are going to give you board positioning and can really mess up your opponent's plans. So being able to pull, you know, a sudden, you know, a, a hit and run just randomly back, you know, from your discard pile or your deck or, you know, um, you know, the card that uh, <laughs> the one that's going to allow him to reposition himself and everything. Um, all of those are just going to be so key and can create these really big swing moments in the game where it's, you know, your battle plan all of a sudden just fell apart for your opponent and you capitalize on it. So that having that ability, to me, with Rob's playstyle, is just really crucial. I'm not saying she's an auto-take, but as far as the non-combat characters for the Starks go, she is definitely going to be very high up on the list, especially at three points. It's again going to be one of those things, though, that you really need to know when to use it and when to make and when to really you know capitalize on it because if you don't and you're just or you're just kind of learning the game it's going to be a little tricky but again this is one of those things that's feeding back into the fact that i think veteran players uh are going to be really really scary when they're playing with rob moving along we have roderick Casile, uh your combat veteran uh if you claim the combat zone with him one enemy becomes vulnerable and while influencing unit then use melee attacks gain critical blow uh, so with Roderick's uh, NCU version here, again, there's nothing that super synergizes well with Rob. So he's not going to be my pick on the list, and pretty much any of the other <laughs> uh, options for NCUs, I would probably run over Roderick. Roderick, I feel, is very good in Great John lists, and actually Tully lists, but those are topics for another day. Um, but specifically with Rob... He just doesn't bring enough to the table here to really warrant me wanting to take him. So, unfortunately, Roderick, you're going to have to sit on the sidelines. Uh, lastly, we have Eddard Stark, the Warden of the North. Bravery in the face of death, uh, Eddard begins the game with three order tokens on him. When a friendly unit passes a morale test or successfully charges, you may remove one order token from Eddard to restore up to two wounds on that unit. If the unit only has one remaining rank, you restore D3 plus one wounds instead. Uh, healing is very important and very rare to come by in the Stark arsenal. And Eddard is one of those guys that really does, you know, help you out in that. Uh, specifically of Rob, he is, because you can get so many surprise charges off, the ability to, you know, his ability is going to trigger fairly often. Uh, this is going to be another one of those play style things. I mean, some people are really going to like the recuperative aspects of it. Uh, and some people are just going to go, well, you know, why would I take him when I can just be more aggressive? Um, to me, it's the difference between do I want to run Caitlyn or do I want to run Eddard 
as my second NCU if we're getting up to those point totals. Um, and again, that's going to be personal preference and play style. Uh, with Eddard, you know, he definitely synergizes well with Tully's because they're going to pass a lot of morale tests. And he synergizes well with Great John and Rob because you're going to be charging a lot. So really to me, it's my first pick is going to be Sansa. My second pick, if we're talking just purely in faction, is going to be Eddard or Caitlyn. And that's going to come down to just personal preference and play style. So neither one's wrong. I don't really view one as higher rated than the other. It just depends on personal preference. Looking at your uh, out, uh, out of a faction non-combat approach, you're going to have either Varus or Littlefinger. Littlefinger is just one of those guys that can kind of fit in most lists, but he is especially going to fit in lists that really care about controlling specific zones of the tactics board. And that in turn is going to determine, uh, be determined by the list that you've made. So if you're going to go a very heavy like maneuver control list with Rob, then Littlefinger can be one of those options that you really, really want. The thing is a lot of Rob's cards are kind of independent of controlling specific zones. So, you know, it, it depends. The thing is with Littlefinger is that he is going to allow you to block other people from taking tactic zones and then still give you the ones you want, namely the maneuver zone. So if you're playing against Lannisters, for example, you can take the crown, take the wealth icon, and just exchange them for maneuver. And then on your turn, claim maneuver, or sorry, on your next turn, claim maneuver again and double down the benefits. So, you know, he's, he's a solid option, but I would still probably rather go Caitlyn over him in this specific list. Varus is a control piece. Um, and the thing is, is that naturally Starks and especially Rob, we don't have a lot of means to really manipulate the tactics board and prevent your opponent from doing key things. Uh, I also feel that's fine though because we have such high battlefield control that I don't really know if we need to double down on the tactics board control. The thing is, is that there is a synergy like kind of there where you are going to have a lot of methods to control the battlefield and then you take Varus to have methods of controlling the tactics board. So Varus is going to be your option if you want to play more of a control aspect of Rob Stark and you know kind of double up on uh, what you're controlling, you know, the tactics board and the battlefield, or just put more focus on the battlefield. A solid option, but again, for me, it's just I really like Caitlyn and Sansa as my two uh, go-tos there. All right, so I've realized that we could spend time going over basically every unit and attachment that could potentially fit into a Rob Stark army. But instead, I believe we're going to close this out by just looking at a 50-point Rob Stark list that I put together, and I'll go ahead and give you the reasoning why each unit is going to be in there. So the 50-point list is a unit of Umber Berserkers with Bran and Hodor clocking in at 10 points. They're included in there because, as I said, Umber Berserkers are one of the best baseline troops for Rob. And in this situation, I'm putting Bran and Hodor in there because I wanted to get the free Direwolf to kind of go with that uh, activation manipulation strategy that I had spoken about earlier. Um, but also because with Bran's skin changing, he's going to give you an extra D3 hits. And putting that in the Berserker unit is especially useful because they've got natural built-in Sundering. So that's initial D3 hits with Sundering built-in. So it's a very strong combo, and I really like it. Now, it is kind of breaking my little rule here about making some expensive units, but that's kind of how this list evolved, is I've just got a kind of small number of expensive units, but that's mitigated by the fact that I've got my two free Direwolves, so I feel a little bit better about it. Uh, the next unit I have is a unit of Umber Berserkers with Brienne of Tarth added in. Uh, added because I wanted a second unit of Berserkers. And Brienne for a two-point attachment is really good because she's going to give them Stalwart 
which is going to basically make it so they're never going to suffer uh, casualties due to morale tests, which, okay, they kind of already weren't going to, but this just doubles down on that, but it's going to give her the effect where I can basically declare a unit and make it so this one is going to go and hunt and kill them. And that's going to put a lot of fear into the opponent. This is going to become my assassination unit, and even if they never really get to the enemy in question, it's still just a mental deterrent for the enemy. But if they do get to that unit, they're going to absolutely annihilate it. So, you know, this is kind of my insurance there against those um, big tank units, if, or if there's anything out there that's causing me a specific problem. Next up, I've got a naked unit of Outriders, just because I think that Outriders are one of the best things to put into Rob's list as well. And there's only so many attachment options you have. The next unit, though, is a unit of Outriders with Brendan Tully, the Vanguard Infiltrator attachment, bringing them up to 10 points, but also allowing them to start off the table and then deploy you know, from either the enemy's deployment edge or flank board edge uh, as I want, which, given Rob's movement shenanigans, is insanely powerful. Uh, Brendan also gives them the regroup ability, so when they make a retreat action, they can restore up to D3 wounds. This is very potent, combining uh, with a lot of Rob's cards and gives the units a colossal amount of staying power. It's expensive at 10 points, but I feel for the speed, maneuverability, and everything they bring to the table, that's worth it. Next up, I actually have Rob Stark himself in a unit of Bastards Girls from House Bolton. <laughs> and the, the irony is not really lost on me there. But Bastards Girls are one of those units that I actually wish I had spoken about more in depth earlier, because I do feel that they are a top-tier choice for running with Rob. So I'm going to go ahead and just briefly talk on that now. So they've got a ranged attack option with their tracker's bow, uh, which can make the enemy vulnerable. But they have their Sikkim order, which is after they shoot an enemy, they can make a free charge action. Now the thing to note about the Bastards Girls is that none of their individual attacks actually do a lot of damage. But just the fact that they get to make two attacks basically every time they activate. Because you're going to shoot them, that's going to cause the, uh, a minor amount of damage. And then also force a panic test, and then you're going to charge them, which is going to... in turn again cause another panic test and as we've talked about uh, very much in depth the Starks really like to charge and they get a lot of bonuses for doing so. The other benefit about the Bastards Girls here is that their Blade and Fang melee attack doesn't actually lose dice until the last rank so therefore you can be a little bit more aggressive with them and since Rob can pull them out of combat you know has a lot of tools for doing that you get to really make use of their ranged attack charge back into combat okay, you're going to attack me, I'm going to retreat. So, you know, there's a lot of synergies there, and hes I actually really do like taking them with Rob. Uh, then you've got Greywind, you know, coming in for free. We've talked about him. You have Summer also coming in for free. And then my two non-combat characters, I've chosen Sansa and Caitlyn. For the reasons listed uh, previously, because I think they synergize really well with the Berserkers, and technically they synergize okay with the Bastards Girls, but Caitlyn is there specifically for the Berserkers. Sansa, because again, as I mentioned, I believe that she is one of the most solid options to take with Rob specifically. So the weaknesses of this list is that for 50 points, it actually is a little low on raw combat units, but we are making up for that in the fact that we have our two free Dire Wolves. So we're not going to get the, the biggest effect out of them we could if we were just going to kind of run a bunch of other cheaper options. But this is one that, you know, we can actually take, and it helps mitigate that fact. Now, I could have also run some cheaper options, uh, namely in some Stark Sworn Swords, cut down on some of the expensive attachments, and probably fit a couple extra combat units in here. But I'm really tempted to see how this list plays out, because I feel each of these attachments is really bringing a game-changing ability to the table that synergizes really well with Rob. So, um, that's my list for 50 points. Uh... 
and I'm actually fairly excited about that. I'm one of those players that I really like doubling down on units. I'm not one of the types that likes having just a bunch of single units unless I'm building an army around the mentality of giving each unit a very specific role. But Rob, I think that the tactical flexibility of being able to have just a bunch of units that kind of not overlap in what they do, but always having a backup, I feel that's the best thing uh, for this specific strategy. So that's why I went with that. Overall, you know, it's a very aggressive list, but everything in that list is super, super fast. And that's the important thing here. We have four units, the Direwolves and the Outriders, that get free maneuver actions. We've got the Umber Berserkers that have a baseline movement of six. And this is not even factoring in things like Swift Advance or, you know, any of the effects that Rob might give. And again, taking that maneuver area of the, con of the tactics board is such a big thing of this list. So the important thing to note is that this list does not have the biggest staying power in the world because your defense is kind of not great. <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's a little like offset by the fact that Berserkers get better. The Outriders have means to actually get out of combat. And with Brendan, you actually, that unit itself will have a decent amount of healing. But overall, you don't have a lot of staying power. And that's going to really reinforce the fact that you need to have your surgical precision. You need to you know, pick a unit, dissect it with your scalpel, cripple it, get out of combat. Okay? This is not a list here that you can take and just charge in however way you want. It's a thinking mess list. Uh, no insult out there to any of the Berserker players who just want to run and kill stuff. But again, we're not talking about that as a commander. So uh, this has been a look into Rob. I hope this has given you some good tactical insight on how to best play him, or at least how I would, uh, and just in general play style stuff. So the big bullet points to hit and to recap, Rob, very mobility-based, very tactical, uh, and is probably going to have a higher learning curve than some of the other Stark Commanders. So understand that going into it. Uh, when you're playing Rob, you really need to be playing to your army's specific strengths and also playing to the specific game mode, whether it's your attacker, the defender, or you know what the mission objective is. You should be able to choose the engagements and interact the way you want. You should never let your opponent dictate where the combats are going to happen and the ebb and flow of the battlefield. If you're playing against Lannisters, they don't have a lot of methods to actually maneuver around the battlefield. If you are choosing to fight them on their own terms, you're probably going to lose. And frankly, that's your own fault. I mean, you're not playing to your army's strengths, and you're playing right into what they want. Uh, if you're playing against other Starks, then you need to factor in who their commander is. If it's Great John, then he's going to be super aggressive, but that means that you can position around him, so you can kind of avoid that as well. Um... And noting that, you know, you need to really take down each of the units and make sure that they're completely wiped out. Because the last thing you want to do with Lost Starks is leave them just barely alive. Same goes for your units in the enemy, but we're not talking about counterplay there. So, hopefully you have found this informative. And we will continue this with other commanders and other strategies. And just talking about general things for Song of Ice and Fire. Looking forward to it. Hope you guys are too. Until next time.